Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. So we see this photographic image of this mud brick looking house in the ruin. It's, you know, it looks a little in shambles. These are the ruins of the house that my mother grew up in. That's the artist Shada Soleimani. Recently, I joined her at the Denny Gallery in Tribeca, New York where we could look at her art together. Her newest work is art about her parents' escape from Iran in the 1980s. It's actually a very collaborative practice. So, you know, I'll be like, oh, I remember the story you told me, and this is what I'm thinking of putting into the set, or this is what I'm putting in the background, and I'll describe it to him. He'll be like, oh, this sounds good, except you left out this detail, and you should add this because it's a very important element. Shada is talking me through this series, which we featured recently in the photography special of the FT Weekend magazine. It's called Ghost Writer, and the story it's telling is a difficult one. As an opponent of the Iranian Revolution, Shada's father spent several years in hiding, and her mother spent over a year imprisoned in solitary confinement. The project's name comes from the early 2000s. Her dad noticed that ghost-written immigrant stories were having a moment in American culture. And I remember my dad was like really excited about that at the moment and was like, Shada Papa, we should find a ghostwriter to write a story about our life. And and I knew that he would never do it. And lo and behold, he never did. And so I remember calling them and asking them after a lot of thought, is it okay if I ghostwrite your story in photographs? And they said, yes. And they said, under one condition, our faces remain anonymous. And I said, absolutely. You know, thinking about also how I experience and think about the medium of photography, the faces aren't important to me. Mm -hmm. People don't need to see faces to understand, like, you know, the trauma that they've experienced or their pain or their stories. Shada was born and grew up in the U.S. years after her parents escaped. She's 33, and until now, she's been making very political work. A lot of it is about how the Middle East is represented in Western media. But now she's finally telling this very personal story about how her parents left Iran. And the best, sort of most comfortable way that she's found to do that is to work with her parents. Today, I talk with Shada about that complicated project of making art inspired by family history. This is FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. Shada Soleimani is a multimedia artist. Her final artworks, like the pieces that you'll see in a gallery, are technically photographs. But they're almost always photographs of something that she's physically made in her studio. Kind of like a small diorama or a set. Behind it are layers and layers of overlapping stuff. So things like ripped up political flyers or patterned fabrics. Just repeating images. The artworks are colorful and maximalist and just super textured. So the more that you look at the piece, the more it reveals itself to you. I've put a few examples in the show notes. So they look kind of collage-like. It's all 
it's just it's a photograph entirely of wow okay yeah so everything is it is collage it's sculpturally collaged Mm -hmm. um i don't do collage in the sense of i'm you know cutting apart newspaper and gluing it to like a photograph and then photographing that um i'm actually you know printing out large photographs sculpting them on top of props on top of different forms um bringing in different symbols flowers you know sports types of like artifacts like basketballs you know maybe you're pulled in by something that's seductive maybe it's like a really like hot color pink Mm -hmm. and you're like oh that's really shiny it's lit really well Mm -hmm. what's happening and then when you start paying attention they're they're very aesthetically sort of grabbing yeah they're like like you want to eat them kind of yeah I want them to be sumptuous like I want there to be something there that makes you want to interact with it the same way like I look at a lot of advertising imagery and food photography you know Mm -hmm. like I'll be driving and seeing a billboard and I'm like oh what type of lighting did they use to capture that image and why would I want to buy those leggings I don't actually want them but the color and the way that they're shot makes me want them the gallery that we're in together will be presenting the Ghostwriter show in September But today, we're here to look at two older pieces that are good examples of Shada's earlier work. One of them, called Proof, shows the hands of the former head of Iran's Revolutionary Guard, Qasem Soleimani. He has the same last name as Shada, but they're not related. He was assassinated by the U.S. in 2020. What you see is a hand wearing a lavish watch and a large orange ring, and it's holding a mirror. And in the mirror is a similar hand, but it looks severed or dead. There might be, you know, for instance, on the image that we're looking outside um, on this wall, there's the image of um, Qasem Soleimani's hand after he was assassinated. And so you might not know that's what it is. And it takes you a while to sit with it and unpack it because you might be looking at the colors or the textures. Can we look at it together right now? I'm going to bring this whole mic with me and everything. Okay, so, I mean, the image we're looking at right now is actually from my series, Lovers of Power. Mm -hmm. So here we're actually looking at an image of Qasem Soleimani's hand, both in life as well as in death. And so he was assassinated on uh, January 3rd, 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember this because I was sitting at a bar in Marfa, Texas, drinking a Negroni, and I saw my last name flash across the screen. And I was like, oh, shit, this isn't going to be good. Did people start asking you? If you were related or oh, anything like that? God, yeah. I mean, I got so many. And it's surprising to me. I mean, like, after 9-11, nothing surprises me. Right. You know, I grew up in the Midwest. Um, and so a lot of people were like, oh, does your dad know Saddam Hussein? Okay. But, you know, fast forwarding, so, like, I thought a lot of my friends or, like, people in my circle would, like, obviously understand that it's a somewhat common last name. Mm-hmm. And immediately, within hours, all these texts, are you okay? I'm so sorry for your family. Wow. And so at the same time, there was a New York Post article, which obviously we know is the tabloid, but there was a photo of Qasem Soleimani's hand, um, this actually exact image of him wearing a ring during a press conference. And then they had this other image of a severed amputated hand that was found after the missile strike laying on a grass with a ring on it as well. And so there was this conspiracy theory that maybe the two hands are different and that Qasem Soleimani is not really dead. And so like, you know, that for me, that's like another like kind of push for me to be like, you know, what is necessary for me to be making this type of work? Mm -hmm. Like, how do we receive our news? Like, who are we receiving it from? And how do we actually parse out how to believe what's real and what's not, what's true, what isn't? So that's Shada's older stuff. 
It's art that gives you a taste of this instinctive knowledge that a first-generation immigrant has, that there's more to a news story about their country of origin than what you see in the news. And that's not because someone's out to hide it, but because stories are mediated through the people who tell them. And in this case, that's the media. She's criticizing how much of the story can get lost through that lens. Her newer work is different in that it's more personal. It's her parents' story. But it's also grappling with this question of who gets to tell a story and the ethics of how. Because even though Shade is telling it now, she doesn't have all the details either. She can't go to Iran, and she wasn't born yet when her parents escaped. Could you tell us what we should know about your parents' story? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can give you kind of the... um. Ooh, the spark notes version is even still a little long. My parents were in Iran and are still today leftist pro-democracy activists. Um, They were opposed both to the Shah's government as well as the Ayatollah's totalitarian regime. My father was very heavily involved, was protesting, giving speeches, distributing documents, writing articles. And because of his heavy involvement, with, you know, his political group, he had a bounty on his head and had to go into hiding. Mm-hmm. My mother was also political, but not as political as my father, but because of her relationship with him also had to go into hiding. And yeah, then my father got a, I guess, guide or a smuggler. And the he was smuggled across the border over the mountains on a two and a half, three week journey. Um, And it's a really kind of treacherous pass. A lot of people actually try to escape via the same routes, but don't make it. And so my dad went, he was successful. And so then my mom tried to go. And at the border, she was caught. And because of her relationship with my father, she was thrown into prison um, and put into solitary confinement. Two different periods of about six months each for over a year. Shada's mother eventually got out of Iran and joined her husband. Wow. And what year was that? She arrived in the States in 1986, I believe. Okay. 86, 87. Okay. Shada's newer work about her parents' journey looks similar to the older stuff. There are still layers and layers and reflections and symbolism and collage. What's new are these poignant, very personal touches from her parents' lives. The exhibition of Ghostwriter is in London now, at the Ed Asante Gallery, and it uses a hand-drawn map that's screen-printed onto the walls of the gallery to kind of carry you along the story. That map is actually drawn by her father, and it's of his memory of his escape route to Turkey. Can you tell me a little bit about... Um, uh, so you were born in Indianapolis in 89? 90. 90, okay. And... Um, you said that your parents spoke quite openly about what they had experienced. Yes. You say all the time. <laughs> all <laughs> um, tell me how it came up and what in what ways it would come up. In every way, God. Um, you know, my parents are of a specific generation in which, A, therapy is not widely accepted culturally mm-hmm. um, in Iran, but B, for my parents' generation, um, therapy is also not you know, something that's accepted, it means you must have a really bad issue going on. And of course they did. They were super traumatized. They both have PTSD. But that was just like, you know, no, we don't need therapy. Everything's fine. Right. And so I was their therapist. (laughs) I think they really needed someone to listen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a child's a captive audience. 
And so I was, I heard all these stories. Um, my mom, you know, and we would hang out together at home as I was growing up. These were my bedtime stories. My first childhood fear, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, the boogeyman's hiding under your bed. I thought leprosy was hiding under my bed wow. because my mom was a nurse in, you know, the Kurdish field hospital where there's a lot of lepers and there's a leper asylum nearby. And so like my, you know, right. fear was that there was this per person with rotting, you know, tissue under my bed because of these stories. Yeah. My father was not as visceral as she mm -hmm. was. Um, he would, you know, get stressed, think about that past. And he would go on these, we lived in the country, and would go on these drives. The drives have been my father's like ultimate way of like relaxing like his whole life. Mm -hmm. And so he would go on a drive and he'd ask me if I wanted to jump on the car and I would. Mm -hmm. And he'd turn on whatever music he was listening to, lots of classical Persian music or like leftist revolutionary anthems. And for a lot of the time we would drive in silence and then he would begin to talk. Mm. Ghostwriter starts with an image of a hand carrying a suitcase. It's her dad's actual suitcase that he escaped from Iran to America with. And the hand is his hand, though it's not attached to a body, so you wouldn't know. The two statement pieces of the show are two portraits of Shada's parents now. Their faces are obscured as promised, and they're sitting in the same scene, that collaged version of her mother's house in Iran, which Shada talked about earlier. Her mother is cradling a live guinea fowl, and her father is clutching a rooster. These are real birds, and they symbolize real stories. And the show is full of references like that to family history. And when they said yes, did they, what was the emotion behind it? Was it, yeah. Oh gosh, I mean, my mom was like, are you sure you want to do that? You know, and I was like, yeah, I think so. I think I'm ready. And she's like, okay, if it makes you happy, then I'll do it. Yeah. And my dad was, you know, obviously being very like Marxist political was like, well, Baba, you have to discuss with me every single idea <laughs> that you're thinking of doing to make sure that this is actually getting your point across. And so every time I would propose a photograph to them, they're actually coming in a few months mm -hmm. to photograph, to be photographed again. Mm -hmm. They want me to give them a rundown of what I'm thinking. What is it like to work with your parents, like creatively? It's kind of the joy of my life. <laughs> really? It's so, I mean, like being a kid, my mom was very like, you know, whatever, artistic, mm -hmm. like as cheesy as that sounds. Um, you know, she, we didn't have other Persian families or friends. She didn't socialize. I didn't socialize because I didn't speak English until a little later. So my mom and I had each other. Right. And so there was lots of like arts and crafts making. I wasn't allowed to have dolls or have toys um, because they were too American. <laughs> and so I learned how to make my own. And my mom taught me. Um, yeah. And my dad is not artistic in any way, shape or form, but he's always about the ideas. So yeah. in that sense, it's been like a huge joy for me because it feels like they're actually getting to tell their own stories too. It's right. not me fabricating these sets and sticking them in it and saying what happened to them. Right. Like if I'm photographing my dad, the last time my parents were in the studio, my mom was in the set moving around <laughs> things and she'd be like, what about this, Jada? What about this? You know? Yeah. It's, yeah. Wow. It's really great. Yeah. It feels really special and I feel really lucky to like have them be involved and to trust me mm -hmm. with this mm -hmm. and yes. their stories. I think a lot about how family histories get passed on and what gets lost and what details matter. I'm actually in the process now of piecing together the history of where my own parents' family came from. And to me, this really beautifully depicts what patching family history together can be like. Real facts, like the photo of the house, 
mixed with family memories and myths and missing pieces. Sometimes we go searching and all we can recreate is a feeling. And sometimes that feeling feels more true than the facts. Um, it's kind of, it's quite moving that they were so open with you. Um, I, my mom's um, dad, different of course, but um, survived the Armenian genocide. And he, it was really hard for her to get him to say anything. And it was, so, it was interesting. I mean, that was a generation above or, you know, or two, but that, that sort of, there was like an old world generation, I think of people who just like didn't want to talk. Yeah. Similar like even Holocaust survivors and Armenian genocide as well. Mm -hmm. You know, thinking a lot about how people that have experienced that amount of trauma either shut down or they feel like if they need to be, if they want to be successful in life or to be able to rebuild or reestablish, they're not allowed to talk about these things anymore. Mm -hmm. And in my parents' world, professionally, I mean, my mom, you know, was at home because of what happened to her. She never was in the workforce again. Um, but they don't talk about these things yeah. because you have to kind of be, create a divide or create these boundaries. And so, yeah, it is interesting thinking about the difference and how different generations had held on to this or not communicated these things. Were there certain questions or feelings that you sort of knew you always wanted to explore or you had rolling around in your head as you were young and as you were getting older about your parents and your yeah, and what they kind of went through. I mean, so many different things, right? Yeah. Because I'm a child of the diaspora, but I've never visit. Yeah. I have all of these, um, you know, kind of images of Iran through the eyes of my parents, but they're very dated because right. they've left. It's been so long since they've gone. Mm -hmm. Questions rolling around in my mind for them. I mean, I never want to provoke. I never ask them, what was it like? Or how do you feel? Mm -hmm. um, because they tell me and I know, you know, I think it's too painful to be like, and how did you feel during this time? You know, my mom just burst into tears. Um, but I want to know the details. Like, I want to know why my dad doesn't remember the name of he, the horse that he rode across the mountains on didn't have a name. Wow. I asked him if he would name it. And he said, I don't know. I, would, I didn't name it. And I was like, that's so interesting. Like, I think about this as like a thing that carries you to safety. Like, did you build a relationship with it? Right. No. Um, he said it was very large and it was nice. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. and I asked about the smugglers and I said, you know, did they, do you know their names? And he said, no, I don't know their names. And so I had thought that maybe there was more. And a lot of these stories are extremely complex, but they are very matter of fact for what they are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something I'm negotiating as an artist, yeah. you know, thinking about how can I represent this in, you know, a way that does just the story and doesn't add too many flourishes. Right. Because right. it's, it's a flourishy story. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Now that you've opened up starting to create work about your personal history and your family history, has it, I guess the question is, where are you, where do you go next? Like what opens up to you? What creatively, what do you get to do now that maybe you didn't before? Because that part of, I don't know. That wasn't. Yeah. Good question. I think I get to let myself be more sentimental. Mm. I'm an extremely sentimental person. I remember talking with my friend Nat about this when I started making this work and, you know, kind of asking him, like, do you don't think this is too sentimental, do you? Because I don't want this to be like sentimental, like family album, like photography, you know, like I, I don't want it to be this, like, this is nostalgia. And 
you know, he was like, no, you, you kind of have to let yourself like feel. And that doesn't mean that if you feel sentimental, that the work will be sentimental. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate him giving me that nudge. Um, I do have the ability to be more sentimental. I don't think these images are sentimental, yeah. but it's letting me access those feelings in a way without having to feel shame or fear um, and having to be so serious and straight in, you know, fact discovery and finding and delivery to an audience. Yeah, yeah. Shada, this was so fascinating, wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. It was really lovely speaking to you. I've put links to a profile I wrote about Shada and links to her work in the show notes. That's the show this week. Thank you for listening to FT Weekend, the life and arts podcast of the Financial Times. If you like the show, it would be amazing if you shared it. You can tell a friend or post about it if you loved an episode or go to Apple and write us a review. All that stuff really makes a huge difference. Links to everything mentioned today are in the show notes, alongside a link to an amazing discount on an FT subscription. I particularly like getting FT Weekend in print. That's also at ft.com slash weekend podcast. Make sure to use that link. I've also got a link in there for discounted tickets to the second annual U.S. FT Weekend Festival. That is next weekend in Washington, D.C., May 20th. And the speaker list is good. Hillary Clinton, Jamie Lee Curtis, Salman Rushdie, Alice Waters, ta Coates. So click that link and get in there. As you know, it is the joy of this job to hear from you. You can email us at ftweekendpodcast at ft.com. The show is on Twitter at ftweekendpod. And I am on Instagram and Twitter at Lila Rapp. I'm often talking culture and talking with all of you on my Instagram. So you should come find me there. I am Lila Raptopoulos. And here is my incredible team. Katya Komkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Molly Nugent is our contributing producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer and our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Have an amazing weekend and we'll find each other again next week. <laughs>